Many of you have been hanging decorations, some of you beautiful lights on your houses, preparing food, buying presents. So here's the question. What's the big deal? Why does the entire world stop at Christmas? Why does it get so chaotic? Why do people go buy all these presents? Why is something that happened in a manger nearly 2,000 years ago having such an incredible impact on billions of people? Remember, this did not happen in a palace. This happened in the lowly stable. How is that possible? I'll tell you why it's possible, because what this little lamb brought was the greatest news this world had ever heard of. It's going to be the best news that you're going to hear too. So let's go back to Bethlehem and the Christmas story this morning. And if you have your Bibles in Luke chapter 2, if you haven't, don't worry, sit back, relax. And some of the verses I'm going to put on the screen. But I'll just intro Luke 2, a reading from verse 1 through 11. The last part will be on the screen. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. That's where all those problems are happening today. Everyone went to his hometown to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, as you would be. Verse 10 and 11 up on the screen. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Why? Because I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is, who is that Savior? Let's be sure about that. He is Christ the Lord. Now God never does anything without a reason, friends. He has a plan and a purpose for everything that he does. He has a plan for every human he creates and a purpose for every human. God has a purpose for you. For you being here today at New Hope Church in 2017. But why did God send Jesus 2,000 years ago? That's what we're going to get to today. The Bible says, for unto you is born a saviour. For you. So this Christmas, I'm going to explain four reasons, as best as I can, why God sent Jesus to earth. The first reason why God sent Jesus to earth is he came to reveal God's identity. In other words, to show us what God is like. Because I don't know about you, but man, I've noticed some weird conceptions or misconceptions of what God is like. You know, you talk to people in the office. Well, what do you think God's like? Well... 
my idea of God is X, Y, Z. And someone says, well, I think God is like A, B, C. doesn't matter what my idea is or person A, B, or C's idea. What matters is the truth of what God is really like. And this is the reason why Jesus came to show us what God is like. Reminds me of a, a little boy. He was drawing a picture in his class. And his first year teacher came up to him and said, what are you doing? What are you drawing? And the little boy said, well, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher said, well, but nobody's ever seen God. And the little boy said, hey, so, so they don't know what he looks like. And they said, well, by the time I finish drawing, they'll know for sure. But that's not the real God. The real God is what we see in Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter what your idea or my idea thinks. What matters is what God is really like. And the Bible says this in John 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God. But his only son, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has told us about him. So Jesus came to make God visible. To correct false, wacky ideas about what God is like. To explode stereotypes and myths and legends and superstition about what God is like. To show us what he's like. John 1.14 The word became flesh and lived among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father. This is the miracle of Christmas. When Jesus was born, he was given a name. Emmanuel. And that means God with us. That's what it means, God with us. He was born and he came to earth so we could relate to him. God came to relate to humans, so he became a human. He wrapped himself in flesh. He was always God. He just took on additional flesh. And he came in a way that we understand, in the way that nobody is frightened. He came, not like an angel, but he came like a baby. Nobody's scared of a baby. He came to save us, not to scare us. And that fact that Jesus came to live with us means he can understand our problems. He can understand your problems and your hurts and your confusion and your disappointments. Because he came, he identifies with our struggles. He's not some aloof God who doesn't enter into our world. He came so he understands how we feel, the pressures of what we think. He understands the fears that you had in 2017 and he understands your anxiety about 2018, the things that you're not sure of. One day, one of Jesus' disciples came to him and said this in John 14, 8. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Don't you know me? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And this is good news because God is a person. He is not some mystical force or power. It means, therefore, I can know him personally. So Jesus came to reveal what God's like. Second reason Jesus came was to relate 
God's word. He was sent with a very important message. He came to communicate the best message, the best news, with the greatest implications that you will ever hear. John 18, 37. Jesus said this. In fact, it was for this reason that I was born. This is the reason. And the reason I came into the world is to testify to the truth. Notice the word truth there. Nowadays, you don't know who to believe. In fact, you can look on the internet and about a particular subject and people can say anything about anything. There's no fact-checking, no accountability these days. How can I know the truth? Not just opinion, the truth. Where can I go to get the truth? That, and by the way, truth never changes. What was true yesterday or a thousand years that way is still true today and a million years that direction. Truth never changes. Opinions always do. So it would be foolish to build our lives on opinions that change all the time. Truth never changes. You have a solid foundation. So how can I know the truth? Where do you get it? You go to Jesus Christ. Because in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. Now you have to decide, friend. Some of you are not sure about that statement. But there's, there's one thing true about that statement. It's either true or it's false. That's up to you to decide. You are free to choose. You and I are not free to choose the consequences of that. We're always free to choose. I've always told my children, kids, you are, cho- you are free to choose, but you're not free to choose the consequences of your choices. This verse right there is a dividing line, straight down the middle. Either Jesus is who he said he was, or billions of people today are celebrating the life of a fake. On Christmas. That's the truth. Either that's true or it's false. Binary choice. You see, Jesus was not just a good teacher. Because you imagine the best teacher you've ever come across. I don't care who it is. You could say Einstein. But if Einstein said, hey, I'm a good teacher. Statement number one. Statement number two. And by the way, I'm God. Whoa, that second statement, you just lost me here. Good teachers don't go around saying, I am God. Good teachers don't go around saying, there is no other way to heaven. Let me be really clear about this, apart from through me. Good teachers don't do that. C.S. Lewis, the very famous literary critic, who was an atheist for many years, but became a Christian, said, there's only three possibilities. Either Jesus is a liar. Possibility number one. He knew he wasn't God and he was trying to convince people he was God. Lying. Number two. Second possibility. He was a lunatic. He thought he was God. Woo! But he wasn't. Or number three. He actually was God. He was the Lord. Liar, lunatic, or Lord. Your choice But please don't trivialize that choice. It has tremendous implications. When you come to know Jesus Christ on a personal basis, he will tell you the truth about the way life really is. 
about the way relationships really are, about what purpose really is, about what really is good and what really is evil. He'll tell you the truth. He'll tell you the truth about yourself. He'll tell you the truth about others and he'll tell you the truth about eternity. And he'll tell you that you're here for a very short period of time. And he'll tell you also what's going to happen in the future. He will tell you that with absolute pristine clarity. You will find God's truth written in his word, the Bible. Now, basing your life on the truth, when you think about it, is the only way to live. What's the alternative? Base my life on deception? Who wants to do that? Base your life on a lie? Not likely. John 18.32 says, this is Jesus speaking, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Freedom. Freedom comes from living your life on the truth. I meet a lot of people who say, I'm a bit confused. In fact, I'm very confused about life. I'm living my life in the dark. Which reminds me of one time, I was in a big multi-story building. Huge, probably 30 stories, more than that. And it was still in construction. And I foolishly went to the bathroom. Inside, on the, in, in the circles of, of, of this building. Very tall building. And I just finished doing my business, and next minute, guess what happened? No power. Dead, dead, dead black. I had no clue how to get out of this place. I'm, I'm kind of like, <laughs> like what's this? <laughs> Working my way around, it was total pitch blackness. After being there for about, <clears throat> I'm embarrassed to say, how can you get lost in the loo? It was a big loo, trust me. <laughs> it was big. Um, after being there for about 10 minutes, my eyes started to slow, and I could see the slightest freight, like a grain of rice glimmer of light. <laughs> and you know what? This is a useful tip, by the way, Simon, if you ever get lost. Never look directly for light. You can always see better out the side of your eyes uh, at night. They're much better at picking up very, very, very dim light. So I could see that, and I walked towards that light. Now, it is much easier to find yourself when you're lost, when you walk towards the light. When you're facing 2018, there is no need for uncertainty. If you look and will start walking towards the light, Jesus says in John 12, I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness, groping around, very hesitant, not knowing what to do, or rushing ahead and hurting themselves. And I know how dark your life is these days. I don't know how dark. I do know for some of you. Some of you are going through economic problems. Some of you are going through marriage problems. Some of you are going through personal issues and health issues. As was somebody yesterday whose little baby girl went into a coma for 11 hours. But sometimes you can feel like you're going through dark times. Now that is the good news of Christmas. That no matter how dark the situation seems, and you don't know which way to turn, a ray of light in the darkness can be lit up when you turn to Jesus Christ, who is the way, he is the truth, and the life. And he is the light of the world. So Jesus said, I came at Christmas to show you what I'm like. I came to show you that I'm with you. God is with you, Emmanuel. God is for you. I came to save you, and I want to save you. That's the third reason 
he came at Christmas. Jesus came to recover God's creation. When God made the world, it was perfect in the Garden of Eden. But when Adam and Eve chose to disobey, sin or corruption entered into the world. The Bible says that we now live in a fallen and broken world. Promises are broken. Relationships are broken. Everything has been affected by sin. Even the stuff that I'm fixing all the time, everything runs downhill. It's corrupted. Jesus came to fix that. Luke 19.10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and save that, what was lost. What was lost in the fall? Literally everything. The most important thing was a relationship, a direct relationship, a friendship with God. And the Bible says that we're all lost, but Jesus came to find us. Now the value of something is proven by how much People are willing to search for it when it's lost. Yesterday we had the whole Buckley clan out searching for my son's keys. <laughs> in the garden, in the trash sacks, everywhere. We were very focused when something was lost because it's all the keys for, for his office and things like that. But the point is, the value of something is proven by how much people are willing to search for it if it gets lost. Jesus told two, actually three stories in a very famous chapter in Luke 15. He talked about the lost coin. The woman doesn't leave a stone unturned in her effort to find it. That was just lost by circumstance, much like my son's circumstance of keys yesterday. But you know what it's like? You lose something, that thing's got your attention. And you don't think about much else until you found that thing. There's a certain intensity there. Secondly, in Luke 15, he talked about the parable of the lost sheep. And the shepherd leaves at 99 to find the one, the lost one. And that sheep, sheep are pretty dumb. They just wander off. And sheep get lost by nature. It's in their nature to get lost. And then thirdly, in Luke 15, it talks about the prodigal son. And that was lost through choice. He just said, nap. Don't want what you've got for me, Father. I want to go do my own thing. And we're lost in the same way. I'm spiritually lost because my nature is sinful. I want what's best for me all the time and way over what's best for you. And I'm lost because I choose to disobey God. But God doesn't leave me in that lost state. Like a loving father, he goes after the son, as you saw in Luke 15. Like a loving shepherd, he goes after the lost sheep. And like, God comes after you as one missing from his family. And he's not going to stop until you're back home with him. And this is great news at Christmas. Because it tells me one thing. Look how much you are worth for God to give his one and only son for you. Go figure that. Jesus gave his life for us. Wasn't some sort of grandstanding thing. In fact, look at this, Matthew 20, 28. I did not come into the world to be served. Strange leader, eh? Strange king. He didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and give his life for a ransom. For a ransom for many. So God sent Jesus on a rescue mission. He went to the cross to die for your sins and my sins. For unto you is born a saviour. 
You have a choice to accept that saviour or to reject that offer. That's entirely your choice. I'm just giving you the truth. And again, John 12, 47 says, I did not come to judge the world. He's not going to say, Kevin, Ben, you know, and, and he's, he didn't come to judge. He came to save. But to save it. Now, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ yet, you're actually lost without Christ. And you need a personal saviour. Let me be candid with you just for a minute. If you think about it for a minute, we've all sinned, every one of us. And all of us have done something that we feel ashamed about, we have regrets over, and we feel bad about. You know it? And we have guilt in our lives. Jesus Christ came at Christmas so he could die on a cross later on Easter and rise again. Those sins don't have to stand between you and the Holy God. And you don't have to carry your guilt into next year. You can let it go and you can receive his forgiveness if you want to be forgiven. And if you do, that's great news. The point is, if we had never needed a saviour, God would never have sent one. Finally, the fourth reason Jesus came was to reproduce God's life in you. John 10.10 I have come that you may have life and have it to its fullest. Notice he did not say, very carefully here, he did not say, come and join a religion. It's not there. He didn't say, get a whole bunch of rules to run your life. It's not there. But he said, I have come that ye may have life, and life more abundantly, which is incredible. And that is eternal life. Not just this very small sliver of eternity. He came and built us to live forever. And that implies that I'm not really living until I know him. Now that's true for most people. This is how it works. The alarm rings. You get up, have breakfast, rush off to work, come home, watch TV, go to bed. Get up, have breakfast, off to work, 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 come home, have dinner, bed, and on and on it goes. Maybe in the weekend, get a few things fixed, do a few little things, a quick relax, and then they think, I'm living. That, friends, is not living, that's existing. That's on a treadmill of existence, where it's very easy to become defeated by circumstances. And boy, they come into all of our lives, mine too, where it's easy to have lots of regrets about the past, and then worries and anxiety about the future, and therefore we will waste today. Jesus used this very important word, life. I studied that this week 200 times in the New Testament. It's a whole lot. If my mother taught me something seven times, I'd better listen. Jesus is saying this 200 times. What does he mean by abundant life? It means a life of purpose, a life of significance. It means a peace that passes understanding, that we can give our worries to him because he's got it sorted. Power to change and grow. But let me be real clear about this. Abundant life is not about having stuff. It's about having peace. It's about having joy. It's about having God in your life. And this abundant life that Jesus offers you and me goes on forever. 
1 Corinthians 2.9. No mere man has ever seen or heard or even imagined what wonderful things God is ready for those who love God. He says, guys, take your wildest thought about heaven and factor it to the power of a billion and you can't even get your head around what heaven's going to be like. No wonder Christmas is such good news because he provided the way to get there. No wonder the world shuts down and celebrates Christmas. It is the best news ever. But without this life, without God, you come to the end and that's it. Any of you who have done any computer science know it's ridiculous. It's absurd is a proper term to think that from chemicals comes code and from code, DNA code, comes consciousness. We haven't the foggiest clue how that works. So you got a choice. Are you just material, chemicals? And if you really believe that, there's some horrible implications of that. There's no such thing as free will. Because all your choices are determined by laws of nature. Jesus came to give you free choice, free will. And one of your choices is this. Do you want to accept the precious gift that Jesus came to bring for the forgiveness of your sins that you may enjoy not only this life here and be used by God in this life here and be free from guilt? Because the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you want that? Without God, life has no purpose. It's motion without meaning. But Christmas is the announcement of great news. Because Jesus came to show us what God is like, point number one. To seek and save and adopt us into his family and to give us eternal life. Now that is good news. This is God's gift to you at Christmas right there. The word we often hear most at Christmas is the word gift. And the gift-giving tradition began with Jesus. When God sent you a gift in Jesus Christ. The most famous verse in the Bible, every person in this room has heard this. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then lastly, to do with this gift, thanks be to God, for his indescribable gift. As we wrap this up, I want you to imagine that I gave you at Christmas the most precious gift I could ever give to you. And I gave it to you, and I wrapped it up, and I gave it to you. But you just put it aside, and with a hollow blue of everything else that's going on at Christmas, you forgot about that. And a year later, I ask you, hey, how did you like that gift? That I gave you, knowing it was my very, my, it, it was a gift, the most precious gift I could ever give you. And embarrassingly, you say to me, Ian, I was meaning to get around to opening it, but I just never did. And it's tragic to me today that many who celebrate Christmas every year have never taken time to accept God's gift and unwrap it.
God sent his gift to you, he came in person. And he cared enough to send the very best. Friends, you can't fully enjoy Christmas until you've accepted God's son. I want to close by reading a few words from a favorite fellow pastor of mine, Chuck Swindoll. So excuse me for reading this part. Who could have known that the birth of a little baby born in Bethlehem would be so significant? At the time, the entire world was captured watching Rome in all of her splendor. Bound by the west on the Atlantic and on the east by the Euphrates and the north and the Rhine and the Danube and on the south by the Sahara Desert, the Roman Empire was as vast as it was vicious. Political intrigue, increased immorality, and enormous military might occupied everybody's attention and conversation. Rome was the news. Palestine existed under the crush of the Rome's heavy boot. By the way, Palestine is just the word for Palestinia, which means the land of the Philistines. Some of you who've read your Bible have heard about the Philistines. And all eyes were on Augustus, the cynical Caesar, who demanded that a census be taken so to determine. Guess why he asked for a census? Why do all politicians want to count people and know where they all are? Yeah, so they could increase the taxes. That's exactly why he called it. Secular history records that. He was determined to enlarge his taxes. At that time, who was possibly interested with all that going on in the background in a poor couple making, and by the way, today I just whipped that out from Google Maps. It's actually about 100. They would have gone down the right-hand side, by the way, guys, not the left. It's about 154 k's that have travelled on a donkey. Remember this, PJ, when you're pregnant. <laughs> on a donkey. And it wasn't smooth roads. They're rocky. Okay? They made a trip from Nazareth up north, which is where they are there, all the way down. And that's because Caesar had said, you need to go to your hometown to be registered. Who would have cared about a little baby boy born in Jerusalem? Well, God did. And without realizing it, the mighty Augustus was playing errand boy for the fulfillment of Micah's prophecy 400 years earlier. There's many of these. That the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Apart from one thing. I should almost throw you a crunchy bar if you knew this. How many of you know that there are two Bethlehems in Israel. How many of you knew that? Anybody? I'd have been poor today. Quite a few of you do. There are two Bethlehems. In fact, look, you could even see that in Google today. See this one at the top? Bethlehem in Galilee and Bethlehem down here. But the Bible is very specific. It never makes a mistake. 400 years earlier, the prophet Micah says this. Next scripture. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephratah, which is down the bottom, the exact right spot. You are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, from your, you are the one who shall come forth for me. One who is the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old and from the ancient of days. There are hundreds of prophecies that point. Do you know what? Even down to the year Jesus would die. That's from Isaiah, we can go back. For those of you who are 
thinking, maybe there's something to this. One of the first places I recommend you start is go back and look at the prophecies written hundreds of years ago. How do we know they were written hundreds and hundreds of years before this? Because you can go to the Dead Sea Scrolls. Again, our good friend Google. You can go there and look up the, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls project and you can look at exactly what they say. It'll translate it into English for you. Look at the one especially that talks about when he was going to be born and how many pieces of silver he would be traded for and what they would do with those. That's all written down hundreds of years before. How do you explain that? While Rome was busy making history, God arrived in a humble stable. He pitched his fleshly tent in silence on a straw and stable manger under a star. And the world didn't even notice. When I went to Botany yesterday, I couldn't help think. I don't want you to overlook Christmas and the gift that he brought. I don't want you to miss the gift that he brought at Christmas. I want you to get to know the one whose sole purpose of coming was to be your saviour. Let's pray. Maybe you have never been to a church before in your life. Or at least very irregularly. Maybe it's been decades. Or on the other hand, maybe you've gone to church before. Nevertheless, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer in your heart right now. And you can begin a personal relationship with God and the rest of your life can literally be the best of your life. If you want to know Jesus, and again, that's your choice, God will never coerce you. He will woo you. He will draw you. Just pray this prayer in your heart. Follow along with me in your mind. Just say, dear God, I don't understand it all. But I thank you for sending Jesus at Christmas. You can just pray that in your heart. Thank you that you came to show me the way. Thank you that you came to give me life. And to forgive my sins and blot them out. Thank you that you came to show me what God is really like. And to restore that which was broken in my relationship with you and in my life. Thank you, Jesus, that you want me to with, be with you forever. Now, a very personal part. If you're open today, would you be prepared to say this, dear Jesus? I want to know you. I want to learn to love you and to trust in you. Thank you for dying for me on the cross, for my sins. And God, I've got to say, I don't understand it at all, but I do want to follow you. I want to turn from my way to your way. I ask you to fill my life with your love and your presence. That I may not just have a new life, but abundant and eternal life. So today at Christmas in 2017... Just between me and you, I want to say yes, Jesus Christ. 
I receive your gift at Christmas. In your name I pray. And everybody said,